Dumbawale for the win. Alike Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards Wallace. Twenty-one world championship medals. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women singles champion, Serena Williams. Large Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. Welcome to All In, a women's sports podcast here on WFUV Sports. I'm Maddie Bomonti, and I'm joined here today with my co-hosts, Samantha Bohr and Julia Moss. Guys, it's been a busy week after Thanksgiving, and we're winding up to final season. How are you guys doing? I'm great. I'm excited to be here back on All In. It's been a couple weeks since I've been on, so I'm excited to be here, excited to be back on campus. Had a great Thanksgiving. I don't know about you guys, but I'm pumped to be here. I'm I'm glad Julia went first because I was about to come in with some negativity. So I'm glad that we started off with some positivity. My Thanksgiving was not great. I had the flu. So I, in fact, could not go home and see my family. And I was locked in my bedroom. And then currently we're dealing with the uh, the final stress that comes with attending Fordham University. But you know what? We love it here. And it's a, it's a blessing to be here. And I'm so excited to be on All In and, and be seeing your gorgeous faces. So... I'm doing doing well. I'm glad to hear you're doing better. I know it's got to be rough, especially around the holidays, whenever you get sick, that it's, it's just honestly the worst feeling in the world. But you're better now in time for your birthday. So we're very excited to celebrate that this week. So but true. we have a lot to get into this week in terms of what happened. Um, one of the most notable things that occurred over the last week was a Las Vegas Invitational happening in women's basketball in the Indiana Hoosiers were one of 10 teams playing at the Las Vegas Invitational on Friday and Saturday, and they ended up playing in a ballroom in the Mirage Hotel with no seating for their fans, and it was all around kind of reminiscent of what we saw in the NCAA um, playoffs and tournament last time, um, where the women were kind of slighted in terms of what they received in terms of funding and their uh, accommodations, and it, guys, it really does not look good. The scenario was um, really heavily talked about by Indiana head coach Terry Morin. She said, as women's basketball coaches, we're trying to move our game forward. And you know, it felt like we got so many clicks on social media because we've taken a couple steps backward at this moment. Guys, what was your kind of initial reactions to what you saw with this tournament? And do you think it was a step backwards for everybody? Absolutely. I mean, if just by looking at the pictures, it's embarrassing. And it's not even like this is some like division, not to knock division three or division two, but this was not a matchup between two division three small basketball programs. This was, you know, an elite team. Indiana's elite right now. And my biggest thing is there weren't even bleachers. That is insane to me. Absolutely awful. And college basketball as a whole needs to do better. There's no reason for, for two straight seasons. Well, not two straight seasons, but for two huge blunders to happen so close to each other it's unacceptable I absolutely agree especially in a place like Las Vegas where women's basketball is a prominent sport there I mean maybe not collegiate at the collegiate level but when you look at the um 
uh, WNBA, sorry, my brain, when you look at the WNBA, I mean, Las Vegas is literally the home of the reigning national champions of the WNBA, the Vegas Aces. So to have a showing like that for a women's tournament is just shameful, honestly, especially when it is for a nationally ranked program. And like you said, Julie, like there weren't even bleachers. And the the coach of Indiana was saying that it was just so not fan friendly. And in a sport where they're trying to grow the attraction to women's basketball nationally, I feel like that's been such a huge movement the last couple of years. This is not a not a good way to do that, especially in a city that this is actually a large part of their culture. And not to not to go on a rant, but you know, I was I was reading an article about this. And there were just so many parts of this tournament that were so poorly accounted for. There were no EMTs on site. And there was an Auburn player, Carissa Richards, who fell on her back and hurt her head. And they thought that she might have had a neck injury. And it took 45 minutes for paramedics to arrive, which is ridiculous. That would never happen at a men's tournament. That would never happen at a professional tournament. This was just such an unprofessional blunder by the tournament as a whole. I don't understand how that could happen. And then I was reading... The comments, which I know is like the plague of of all sports encounters, but I always have to do it, especially when it's women's sports articles. And here's just a few of the uh, of the comments that I read about this here tournament um, via via the kind people of the Internet. One of them said, quote, in order to make it fan friendly, the sport would first need to have fans. That one comes from Ben, the commenter. Uh, Todd, the commenter said seems about right these games can't draw flies no need even for a high school gym a ballroom in a hotel is even too large and the last one was the only thing that sets back women's basketball is when the game is played unwatchable which not to not to be the person who's just constantly being like this would never happen to men but it would never happen to men and that's also just ridiculous that people think that about a legitimate sport and these legitimate athletes who are incredible and some of the top athletes in the world so anyways yeah i mean looking at the comment section of even just you know huge places like espn like every time they post about women's sports i'm holding my breath a little bit because i know what it is i know it's going to be a bunch of trolls and honestly most of them are like 14 year old boys like i've looked i've, I've pressed the profiles of these people who are like saying like not a real sport who cares yawn whatever and it's just people who are trying to be funny and I am excited for the future for when that becomes unfunny for when, I mean, it's unfunny now, obviously, but for when the expectation is much higher for what you can and can't post about these very legitimate athletes who put so much effort into the sport they play. But going back to the atrocity, the the monstrosity awfulness of the, the court, the site coordinator of the tournament, Ryan Polk, quote said we're very sorry the court and the lighting that stuff hasn't been an issue but we need to have full-on bleachers we have been we have notified the mirage we won't be coming back again this is a one-time disaster in terms of events it definitely did not go to the way we thought were planned we just severely missed the mark when it comes to the spectator site so it's good to know that it's understood by all parties that this was an absolute uh miss of the mark and hopefully we don't see a situation like this happen again I completely agree. And I think it also comes down to the fact of why they're even hosting them in these hotels in the first place. When you go to a tournament, 
why would you host any sporting event inside a hotel when you know there is no adequate space, when you know there is no proper location for a sporting event to actually occur, a sporting event of an NCAA caliber? And so to me, it's crazy to even think that these tournaments are being allowed and okayed in the first place by the NCAA because they should be granted these proper courts and playing spaces that you could get at like a gym anywhere in the area. There's no shortage of gyms in Las Vegas for these women to compete in that are much more up to standards than what we just saw in this ballroom in in the hotel in Las Vegas. Like it's just out of the question for me. And I think that, you know, while they apologized, it's it's really something that just is sad to see because it continues to happen to a lot of women's sports and, and it happens to men's sports too. Like, I think the idea that this is occurring at all is just a shame for the sport because you want to give these college athletes the best experience possible and they're not given that. And so I think when you look at it, it it's just a sad story. Um, you know, the, the coach goes on and, and I'm glad you guys brought up the EMTs because the EMT thing was absolutely disgusting to read that you couldn't even have EMTs on site at your games. You had to wait 40 minutes for a girl that could have a serious injury. And she wasn't the only one, two other girls were injured at the tournament and they were waiting for EMTs just as long. It's absolutely ridiculous to know that this even happened. Um, it's a shame that this occurred, but I really want to see this kind of change in the future. Um, but we're going to kind of pivot a little bit and continue on talking about some basketball here. And there was a slew of A25, uh, AP top 25 games today. Um, let's kick it off with some UNC Indiana, which wrapped up. And when I was kind of checking into this game, Indiana just really had the edge over UNC the entire time. They were absolutely dominating in the threes. In the first and second quarter, they hit about seven from beyond the arc, which was just absolutely detrimental to UNC's game. And at halftime, they just were not performing as well as Indiana. They were just not shooting as well from the field. While they were kind of equal in in three-pointers, um, they were just not getting kind of that offensive um, attention they needed and it really faltered for them. And yeah, it was just a really tough game to watch. Yeah. I mean, this is really Indiana's first test this season. They, they proved today, They proved today why they're ranked so high. This is really their first quality win, but I mean, looking forward to the season, you know, this it's good that they got this win under their belt because as, as the season progresses, you're going to see them play a lot more teams that are at the level that UNC is. I mean, they play, just in the next in the next couple months, they play Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan, and Iowa, and, and we know a lot about Iowa. Caitlin Clark is incredible. Uh, all all four of those teams are ranked, so it's a good sign that they can take business, take care of business now against UNC because they've got a long road ahead. Yeah, totally. And I mean, both of these teams were undefeated coming into the match today, so it really was a test for both of them. And this is the first time that these teams have faced off since like. 1988 or something I don't know something like that which is pretty ridiculous um and it's oh yeah when the Tar Heels won 80 to 75 in, in Chapel Hill 1988 first team first time they faced off since them and uh they only met twice prior to that and uh UNC won both those meetings so this is like you said Julia a great way for Indiana to prove why they are who they are especially because they were playing down one of their key players Grace Berger 
wasn't even in today because she um, went down at the aforementioned Las Vegas Invitational with a knee injury. She wasn't even in today. But I mean, Mackenzie Holmes is someone who we've been seeing dominate this entire season. I mean, she's averaging 26 and a half points and eight rebounds a game. And she shot 88% from the floor in Vegas. And today she had 25 points, five rebounds, three assists. And Sydney Parrish had 24 points, six rebounds and an assist. So you can really see the depth this Indiana roster has. And like you said, Julia, just echoing that statement of this is why they're ranked as highly as they are. And I mean, they'll have tests going forward, but I think that people should be afraid of the Hoosiers. Yeah, and you make a good point about UNC. I mean, they also came into this game undefeated, and I don't think that should be lost on anyone. They just had an incredible week. They came up two huge wins against Iowa State and Oregon. You know, their first loss, obviously not in great fashion, but UNC can, can beat. I mean, their schedule as of this past week has been absolutely ridiculous. And if I'm UNC and I'm looking at these three games going in before they played these three games, I'm ecstatic going two and one. And this experience will be really good for them because you look at these three straight ranked matchups, that's what you're going to get when it comes March time, when it when it's, when it's time for the tournament. So it's good to get these tests heading into conference play. And again, I mean, going two and one against three very quality teams, this isn't a great loss. I mean, they got blown out, but if I'm UNC, I don't think it should be lost on anyone that they're going to be a team to compete with going forward here. Totally. And I think what happened with UNC is they really faltered in that second quarter. And it really showed when you look at all of the stats following the game, they put all their eggs in one basket. And that was Kennedy Todd Williams, who really went off for them and had a fantastic game, was leading for the team going into halftime. But nobody else put up the numbers she put up for UNC, as opposed to Indiana, where you had both Mackenzie Holmes, you had Sydney Parrish, you had Sarah Scalia. You had Chloe Moore McNeil all putting in um, double digits for them. UNC just didn't have that same energy and effort really that they had going for them. And like I said, I want to go back. They did not shoot well from the field at all tonight. They were only 35% as opposed to Indiana's 53%. That's not what you need to close games. And when you're trailing in that second quarter, that really was kind of the change of pace for, I think, Indiana. And that really showed going forward. And it was a really tough game. Um, obviously two undefeated teams, somebody's got to lose UNC. It was a tough loss, but Indiana, fantastic to see them continue going forward, but we're going to transition to the next game on the roster for, for tonight. And that was Maryland and Notre Dame. That was a heater, honestly, to watch Notre Dame was playing two consecutive home games over the next four days. It was two ranked teams going up. It was an ACC big 10 challenge. Sam, I know you tuned in for a little bit of the game, and obviously Maryland pulled that one out in a squeaker. What can you tell us a little bit about what you saw in that game? Yeah, I know what me, me and Julia were both saying that we were tuning in for part of that game. And I, I tuned in in about uh, the third quarter. And at that point, there had been six lead changes and a couple of ties. And by the end of the fourth quarter, I think there were 13 lead changes um, and seven ties which is ridiculous because these teams were both so competitive tonight, just going back and forth. I mean, the Irish looked really strong in their passing and their assists and their communication. And then obviously for Maryland, Diamond Miller was just ridiculous tonight, both on defense and when shooting threes. And I mean, she's the reason Maryland won this game because Maryland was up by a point in literally 
I think there was like 15, 12 seconds left on the, or two points, 12 seconds left on the clock. Diamond Miller gets a free throw. So they're only down by one or Maryland's down by one. Then legitimately last four seconds of the game, Diamond Miller, two pointer, buzzer beater, insane. Then she turns around and literally shushes the crowd. She's like, it's quiet in here, which was so hard. So ridiculous. Oh my gosh. I mean, when you're playing like that, you can afford to do that. But this was an incredible game, just so back and forth. So many really great contributors. I will say I didn't see as much out of Abby Myers as I wanted to tonight. I mean, she, she's been a really big contributor for Maryland this year. She's their number two scorer and she didn't get going as much as I think they maybe wanted her to, but still a great game all around. I know Julia, you were watching part of that game too, before you had to go to a meeting and we were, we were both in shock. Yeah, I unfortunately, like the worst time meeting ever, I had to stop watching, you know, right as the fourth quarter was starting. And I remember, like, I left that meeting, like, you know, it's a close game, but Notre Dame's going to pull this out 100%. So when I got off that meeting, and I'm starting to talk to Sam, and she says, Maryland won, I was stunned. And it sounds like the fourth fourth quarter was incredible. But I really want to talk about Notre Dame here. I mean, I, I really can't believe they lost. They have such a a full team. I think that's the biggest difference between Maryland and Notre Dame with Maryland. You have diamond Miller leading you. And I think they know that diamond Miller is their leader and that's, they're going to pretty much win and lose by her. I mean, she's a projected top 10 pick right now. Um, And Notre Dame has four players that are averaging over 10 points per game. So it's definitely a tale of two teams here. And I I just want to say quick shout out to Neil Ivy, who is uh, Notre Dame's head coach. I love her. She did amazing groundbreaking stuff with Memphis before heading to uh, Notre Dame with the Grizzlies uh, and her son is in the NBA too Jaden Ivey plays for the Pistons but yeah I can't believe Notre Dame didn't win this I, I literally left this meeting like all right Notre Dame's gonna stand defeated going to next week but no they get their first loss and Maryland gets a absolutely huge win and I'm I'm excited to see where this goes uh coming on here going here on out It was an absolutely electric game. And I really just want to shout out Diamond Miller right now because her list of accolades is ridiculous. And she's only in like continuing to show it out this senior season for her. She actually, against our own Fordham Rams, grabbed a career high 13 rebounds for her fourth career double-double in win. Uh, That's absolutely crazy. She scored a career high 32 points against number 17 Baylor. She's doing it again against ranked teams and she's doing it consistently and it's it's absolutely electric to watch her on the court and see what she's pulling out but she has just I can't even like go into her laundry list of accolades if you could think of an accolade she's probably been named for it she's been on the Naismith watch list since she's a sophomore Uh, like it's incredible to see like her get all these honors she was only she was a big 10 player of the week for the first time in her career this year which I honestly can't even believe listening to what she has accomplished and her buzzer beater, man, like you can't ask for anything more than that against your team. And just the Terrapins really picked it up in that fourth quarter. Um, when you come out of that third quarter and you kind of like were slacking off a little bit, they really put the gas on for that fourth quarter and it showed. And Diamond Miller, man, she just outperformed that team um, for Notre Dame. And, you know, again, an- another tough win, but, you know, it's it's college basketball, and that's the only thing you could ask for with a tough game, an upset win by the Terrapins, but definitely was a must-watch game. I would definitely continue to watch any more of Notre Dame's games going forward in the future. But we have one more game to kind of talk about, and it is underway right now as we are recording. NC State versus Iowa. Monica Cezano and Caitlin Clark, two absolute forces. Kate Martin is a force for Iowa. 
But right now they are trailing the Wolf Pack 43 to 37 right now as I'm recording. Guys, this is really interesting to see this team really just not performing to the level that we're used to. Caitlin Clark already with 24 points on the night, but Iowa cannot hold on with these Wolf Pack right now. What have we been seeing and where do we think this game is headed? This is crazy. Like in my prep going into this game, you know, it seemed like the only thing NC State really needed to do was stop Caitlin Clark and they'd be winning, but they're not stopping Caitlin Clark and they're still winning. So definitely proved me wrong there. The fact that Caitlin Clark has 24 of Iowa's 37 points and we just started the third quarter, there's only seven points have been scored by someone else. That's absolutely crazy. I Oh, well, there's a plus six to that. Um, yeah, Iowa really needs to get going here. They need to get some more people involved. Um, if if NC State pulls this out, I think this is a huge wake-up call to Iowa that you can't just live and die by Caitlin Clark. You're going to have to get other people involved because at this rate, she's going to end with like close to 40 points. And if they don't win here, it, it just proves that Caitlin Clark isn't the, the end-all, be-all to win games. And a third loss here, going five and three, that would be a tough one to swallow. I absolutely agree. I mean, like you said, Julia, more needs to get going. You can't just rely on one star player. And we say this about every league. This is no different being NCAA women's top 25 than it is NBA. You know, it's always the same. You can't just rely on a star player to carry you through no matter what the sport is, no matter what the league is. An interesting, interesting stat for this right now on the night so far, Iowa is only two for 13 on three pointers. Literally shooting 15.4%, whereas NC State is four for eight, which I think is huge because being able to nail those shots from beyond the arc, from outside the paint, is going to do so much for you score-wise, yes, but also energy-wise, morale-wise. And not being able to hit those, having literally 13 attempts and hitting two cannot be boding well for this team. And like you said, I mean, Caitlin Clark having 24 of the 37 points and them still being down by all by six points is ridiculous. I mean, the highest highest score on NC State only has 11 points right now. And it's and somehow they are working together. So I think that, like you said, Julia, this is a wake up call for Iowa if they lose tonight. And it's showing that maybe NC State's roster, maybe the Wolfpack has more widespread depth that is kind of making up for what Iowa State kind of relies on in terms of having a star player and then people to back up whereas NC State is kind of more sharing the wealth. I don't know. I completely agree. And, I, and you know, I was getting these attempts, but they're just not following through with them. As we enter the third quarter, it's just looking difficult for them to really put up the posters. And they come in the first quarter leading. Second quarter is a completely different story. Wolfpack put up 26 to Iowa's 18. It's just shocking to see when your team is getting more rebounds offensively they're just either shooting from the three too much tonight and they just don't have it and they are not able to capitalize on this. But NC State, man, looking like the more well-rounded team, all these players are kind of getting into the action tonight. Every single player looks like right on their way. They're about to have two players, hopefully, in the double digits soon. But yeah, Iowa, man, they are just not performing on the same level. They only have Caitlin Clark, and Caitlin Clark, as good as she is, she cannot lead this entire team when the other players on your team are only putting up four or three points this game, and nobody else is putting up anything else. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how this one plays out. But 
until we figure out the end of the game, we're going to transition a little bit more to another topic. This in the world of soccer, two NWSL teams are selling. The owner of the Portland Thorns announced on Thursday he's putting the club up for the sale, which is the latest fallout from the investigation into misconduct in the National Women's Soccer League. Merritt Paulson's decision comes nearly two months after a pair of team executives were dismissed from their roles in systemic abuse and conduct, misconduct within the NWSL. Um, aside from them, Chicago is also selling their team. Um, but this is two major teams breaking um, this news today. Guys, what was your kind of initial reactions and what do you think this has on an impact for the future of the NWSL? Yeah, I mean, this is huge. Two owners selling a team, announcing nearly on the same on the same day. Um, I mean, it's a little bittersweet because you know you never want to see such a overhaul in a, of owners because that definitely suggests something has gone wrong. And in the case of the NWSL, so much has gone wrong. So it's bitter in that way that you know this has to happen because of what happened in the past. But it's also sweet because these owners who have both had their hand in misconduct and allowing systemic abuse within the within the NWSL are no longer going to be involved with the league, which is really great. And another side thing to this is you really are seeing how much the NWSL is worth now. I mean, the thorns are being valued at $60 million. And I think that's that's amazing. Like it shows the growth of the sport and the thorns in general. I mean, looking at the, the scope of the NWSL, the Portland Thorns have always been up there, if not number one in uh, performance in just like over the past few years, they have the most championships or they have one of the most championships fresh off of a championship win. And I mean, I'm happy that these people are no longer involved in the NWSL. Good to get a clean sl slate, try and separate yourself from the past two years that have been absolutely abysmal as much as you can and move forward with owners and people in leadership positions who know what they're doing. I agree. I mean, yeah, I think that is that is the most important part of this is that they're getting a clean slate. They're going to have someone who can kind of reframe the value system that was compromised, you know, in all of the misconduct that occurred in the last many years that was highlighted in the reports that came out a little bit ago. I think it's it is important that um, there's going to be a buyer that hopefully will keep them in the Portland community as well, though, because there is also the MLS team there, the Portland Timbers, which is also owned by Paul Sino is the thing because so he's selling the thorns, but he also owns the Timbers and his ownership group owns the field where they both play. So, I mean, he's not going to be fully uninvolved, but it is good that he's going to be kind of more um, removed from the situation that there will be an owner who's going to be able to hopefully, you know, like you said, Julia, bring in some more positive energy, bring in kind of a new outlook for this team for both of these teams. Honestly, I mean, same with Chicago, because this, this systemic change that needs to happen as you so but well said is something that needs to start all the way at the top and trickle all the way down. And what a better way to do it than these owners. And it is great to see these teams being valued up in the double digit millions. I mean, it's showing just how valuable these sports are. We know that like the U.S. women's national team, people know them, but having the NWSL be recognized for as important of a part in sports as it is, is awesome. And to see it valued financially in that way, I think is a huge, huge step. Yeah, and Merritt Paulson, staying owner of the Timbers and the field, really puts this whole situation in kind of an awkward setting. Because when you think of the Thorns, you think of Providence Park. That place 
is electric week in and week out again. And it has been a staple of the National Women's Soccer League th- since its inception. But because of the fact Paulson is connected to that field, it really puts you in such a, a weird position. And Paulson has said that he wants the team to stay in Portland. And there's no chance they move it away from Portland because this is the most lucrative team in the, in the National Women's Soccer League. And Portland is such a women's soccer and soccer city that there's no chance the, the Thorns are getting moved somewhere as far as city. But as far as field, I, I honestly don't even know what they're going to do here because – you obviously don't want to play somewhere that's even somewhat connected to someone who's done such terrible things, um, who's allowed such terrible things. But you also have to understand that Providence Park is Portland. That is the Portland Thorns place they've been in for, for 10 plus years. So it really, I don't know where they're going to go from here, but I mean, Paulson has pledged a million dollars to establishing an NWSL player safety office, which is a great first step, but at the end of the day, like, is there is there even enough that Paulson could do to make this okay? I don't know. The NWSL has some decisions to make coming up, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. I just think it's really destructive for all of this to occur when we knew all of these allegations were coming out in 2014 and 2015 when he was coaching. And now, just because the allegations came out once again, um, that he decided, well, now's the time to step back. Now is the time I'm wrong. When it's just frustrating that this was ignored for so many years. You ignored your players all this all these years ago. And now finally, just because of the public outrage, you have decided enough is enough. I just can't really take it seriously, really, on the part of Paulson. And while I appreciate what he is now donating to the NWSL in terms of um, financing those things, for them to benefit the league. Um, it's just really hard to take that sincerely. And after everything that's been going on and hearing the comp, um, the complications and everything that has occurred, I just don't know. I think it's the right decision that he's finally selling the team. Um, and I obviously see the complications with still keeping it in Portland, but it's just so important to keep it in Portland that it it's just like, um, a tough spot I think for the team and for everybody, but I'm hoping that this next owner can really put something new and something better into this team. Yeah, absolutely. I think that something that's important to recognize too, though, is that Merritt Paulson said he's not in any rush to sell the team, which is good because you obviously want to find an owner who's going to care for this team and actually do the organization. It's due diligence, but also, I mean, that means that he could be stepping back saying I'm no longer owner of the team and he could take, three years to sell this team, you know, like there's nothing that's going to say that anything's going to change anytime soon. And he can still be this covert owner. And like, I don't want to say it's all for optics because I I hope it's not. And obviously, like you said, Maddie, it is great that he's donating what he has financially, even if it does feel a little bit hard to take sincerely and to genuinely appreciate it. But I mean, it's this interesting situation where it's like, great, you're stepping back as owner of the team you're maybe you're not going to find a replacement for three years, which seems unlikely. But I mean, if he wants to operate this team still from closed doors, it's very possible that he can just say, oh, I haven't found anyone that I like. I haven't found anyone that's going to really do what this organization needs and still be operating the team. And and like you said, Julia, it is a really, really tricky situation for him to still be for his ownership corporation to still be owning the field in which they play in and to still be owning the the MLS team there as well. So I don't know. I think that like both of you said, it's, it's a good step, but it's, it's just such a precarious situation for a team that 
is so important to the sport of soccer gen- like generally. I completely agree. And it will be a waiting game when we see this kind of selling activity going on. You're completely right that it could take months, years. We don't know how long this selling is going to take. And we can only hope that it goes at a reasonable pace for the team and hopefully get somebody new in that can connect with the players in time. But that is going to be all for us today here on All In. Uh, a big shout out to our producer today, Taylor Massetta. A big thank you to my two co-hosts today, Julia Moss and Samantha Bohr. I am Maddie Bomonti saying so long and tune in for our next episode of All In, a women's sports podcast here on WFUV Sports.